chapter 3 and verse number 13. Tonight we are dealing with perhaps one of the most top five topics, important topics in all the scriptures. I would even say it's probably, I just would say it's just one of the most important topics of, in all the Bible. And that is the issue. In just one sermon, we would not have time to cover all the length or the breadth or the details of it. And I would even say that it would take ten. But I want to cover tonight just one specific aspect of this issue of forgiveness here according to the book of Colossians. And this aspect that we're going to cover tonight that deals with forgiveness is forgiving others. But even more than that, it deals with the forgiveness of others during a quarrel or a blame, or in a blame-worthy matter, or forgiving others because they have had some fault against you. And it's important here to note before we get into this study tonight that there are very many different, uh, you might say, faults on forgiveness, teachings on forgiveness in the scriptures, not that... They do not reconcile with one another, but there are, different, there are different teachings and different aspects of forgiveness as you look throughout the scriptures. In fact, in our study tonight, we're going to even discover towards the end that the two words that are used the most in our New Testament to, to that are translated the word forgive are actually, there's two totally different words. The word in our study here tonight in Colossians 3.13 where we're going to be reading from here in just a moment where he says forgiving is the idea of giving grace. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, just give me a little grace, you know what I mean? Uh, just give me some grace. Uh, they get that from this word forgiveness. The other word is the word that you're probably most familiar with. It comes in the Gospels many times. Jesus describes it in the Sermon on the Mount. And as it is the word to release or to let go. So even in the New Testament, there's more than just those two. There's probably four or five or six different Greek words that deal with the word forgiveness, but those two are the most common. So there's many different scenarios, different aspects of forgiveness. Let me just give you a couple before we jump into our study. In Colossians 1.14 and also in Matthew 9.2, you have specifically that it is Christ that forgives men and women of their sins. Remember the very famous story there in Matthew 9? When Jesus sees the man taken with palsy, the first thing he says to him is what? Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Uh, another one of those aspects is when Jesus gives us the example in Luke 17 that we ought to forgive somebody multiple times. He says, if somebody comes to you seven times in one day and says, I repent, uh, you are to forgive them seven times. It also harkens back to Peter's question and he says and he says lord is seven times enough to forgive somebody and jesus says oh no peter he says how about 70 times seven uh does that mean 490 times well number one it's highly unlikely that somebody's going to offend you 490 times you say you don't know my spouse but nonetheless but uh it could be just simply the fact that jesus is alluding to a number that is just uh, going to be irreconcilable that you're just not going to count you're not going to keep track of that many times in that many in, in, in one single day. And some of even the Jewish scholars point out that the idea of 70 times 7, 490 is the idea of, uh, of an eternal aspect. You're to forgive them eternally, completely, always, never stop forgiving. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 2 and verse number 7 deals with a totally different aspect of forgiveness. It is the forgiveness actually of a church. Forgiving somebody that experienced church discipline, 
they were doing wrong. They were actually, this particular man was doing something very wrong immorally, and the church was instructed to discipline the man. And in doing so, the man actually repented, and the church is now being told to forgive the man uh, because, he's, because he has repented. Um, Galatians 5.15 tells us that there is the idea that one who is sick, one who is sick, and they, they confess their faults, uh, and, uh, and they, uh, they go to the elders and they confess their sins, uh, God gives a promise that God will heal them. Uh, read your Old Testament, you'll find lots of examples of God's forgiveness. In fact, that is the main theme in the Old Testament about God's forgiveness. It's really all centered on God forgiving. Uh, Psalms tells us in Psalms 25, 18, he says, Look upon my affliction and my pain, forgive all my sins. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, Psalm 32, 1. Psalm 85, 2 says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people, thou hast covered all their sins. The Bible also tells us in Psalm 100, 130, verse number 4, it says, But there is a forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. So you read through the Old Testament, read your Old Testament, you'll find a lot of things that deal with forgiveness. It deals with God forgiving us. The Old Testament has a very high view on God forgiving us. On God forgiving us. It's very important that we understand that here in just a little bit. But these words that I've just read to you from the book of Psalms should remind us of the character of God. That God is very merciful, very kind, very long-suffering, very forgiving. As Psalm 86, 5 says, For thou, Lord, art good, and I like this, ready to forgive. Don't you like that? Ready to forgive. It's like God is standing on go. He's sitting on go. Ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. He wants to forgive. He's plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. There's also the issue of 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9 and how we uh, go to God and we confess our sins to Him in order that we may have forgiveness. It's not that we uh, are unforgiven by God or that we'll go to hell if we don't ask God for forgiveness before the time runs out because we know that the blood of Jesus Christ has forgiven us, has covered us, has cleansed us, even the Bible says, has cleanses us from all sins. But just like a father and a son relationship, if my son offends me, uh, to maintain and to keep that relationship back or put it back intact, uh, there needs to be a forgiveness aspect that's involved with that. There needs to be a repentance, a sorrow, a sorry, and a forgiveness. And uh, when that takes place, that relationship is restored, and so it is with our Heavenly Father in 1 John 1 9. So there's many aspects of forgiveness, but tonight we're only dealing with this one. And it is in our passage in Colossians 3.13 that we find it. And it says to us now, we've been dealing with this for perhaps, I don't know, seven to ten weeks, these few verses. Dealing with this put off, put on principle. Put off, put on, put off, put on, put off, put on. Put off these other things and then put on these things. And so he tells us in verse number 12, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. And then we get to our text. And forgiving 
one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let's pray. Father, we're glad to be back in your service tonight in your house to praise and worship you. We pray that tonight out of this study of forgiveness of others that have offended us, hurt us, that God, we will gain much from it. I pray that most of all, that Lord, we will all gain, we will all have a greater respect for you, a fear for you, as Psalm 130 and verse number 4 says, but there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. And we have a great fear of you, God, respect, or reverence, because of the great forgiveness that you've given to us. May that fear be translated into us, Lord, forgiving others. For we see the great forgiveness that, Lord, you've given to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. First question that I want to deal with is this. What leads us to this particular topic tonight? What leads us to this topic? And I think it's very simple to see what leads us to this topic is this, is that out of all these things that Paul has asked us to put on, love, meekness, humility of mind, long-suffering, forbearance, all of that is leading to one really general conclusion, and that is forgiveness. That is forgiveness. Paul's teaching of forgiveness brings in all these other aspects that we have been dealing with. And really, it's a proper conclusion to the put-off, put-on principle. This is what Paul has been leading up to. He's been teaching us to maintain a healthy relationship or any healthy relationship that is within a workplace, and we're going to deal with that in Colossians 4, within a marriage or in a home or within a church or in a community, then one must begin to put on mercy and kindness and humility and long-suffering. And when you combine all of those together, the natural outflow of that will be forgiveness will be forgiveness. For if you do not believe, or excuse me, excuse me, I should say, if you do not believe that you need to forgive as a believer, if you believe that I don't need to forgive that person, then you completely negate every single one of the other qualities that, I, that God has been asking you to put on. You completely cancel and void out every one of the other articles of clothing that he says here for us to put on. You completely cancel out forbearance and meekness and kindness if you say in your heart, I will not forgive. How can you say, I will not forgive, but I will be kind? That, that doesn't correspond. How can you say, I will be merciful, but I will not forgive? You cannot do that. The two cannot coexist. You cannot say, well, I will be greatly have a humbleness of mind, but I will not forgive. The two do not go hand in hand. You must, you must have all the other qualities, but they naturally flows out of them is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus even puts it stronger than I just did. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6 and verse number 12, he says, and if you forgive and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For 
Then he puts a little addendum on verse number 12. He adds to it, if you will. Not part of the Lord's Prayer, but he adds to an explanation of what he said there in verse number 12. Forgive us of our debts and forgive our other, as we forgive our debtors. So he says, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus puts a strict demand upon us that we as believers should forgive one another. You say, what if we don't? Well, then all you have to do is turn over to Matthew chapter number 18. And in Matthew chapter number 18, you have a parable that Jesus illustrates very well to us. And I don't have the time to take you through the whole parable, but if you maybe remember it some, and I'll just highlight it for you very briefly is that there's one man that owes a whole lot to a lord, a master. And he says, please forgive me of this debt. I will repay you. The most laughable, he couldn't repay it. But yet the master has mercy and forgives him. The man that is forgiven much then meets a man that, uh, that, go, that, that owes him very little. And he grabs him by the neck and he says, pay me. He says, I, I don't have it on me right now. Let me, let me work it up for you. And he says, no. And he throws him into prison. And this is the effect that it has upon our Lord. And this is what he says. Then his Lord. Now that's small lowercase l there. Okay. Speaking of master. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not have also had compassion on thy fellow servant as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if your, if your hearts, if from your hearts you forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. I don't believe that's speaking of people that are unbelievers. He's talking about fellow servants. He's talking about servants and everything. This is your servant. This is your fellow servant. And so Jesus even says there at the end, he talks about my heavenly father will do to you. He says, if you don't forgive your brother, their trespasses. Look, he's talking about saved people. Is there's a consequence for saved people that do not forgive. There's consequences, harsh consequences for, from God. God says in his word, he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, he says, he says, the Lord will not hear me. If you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, my friend, God is not going to listen to your prayers. Don't think you're right. Don't think you're right with God. Don't pat yourself on the back and think I'm right with God. You've got unforgiveness hiding in there. You're not right with God and God ain't listening to you. All right. <laughs> you're not at all. Don't think to yourself, well, you know, well, I just really feel like God's really leading me in this thing, but I've got this sin, I've got this harboring, I'm harboring this bitterness, this unforgiveness. My friend, that's some other feeling. That's a feeling of Satan, of the flesh, but it certainly ain't of God, okay? Because God is not speaking to you. God lets that known in his word. He considers forgiveness of his, of his children to be at utmost importance. The consequences for living as a believer with unforgiveness in your heart are detrimental. They may be even deadly for your spiritual health. It can have tremendous and terrible effects upon your life. What? Watch the life of a believer that harbors unforgiveness. They cannot be blessed. They will not grow. They will not mature. They will not mature in their walk with God. They will remain stagnant. They will remain immature. 
and somewhat useless to the Christ kingdom because they will not forgive. They will not forgive. To put on the rest of the article of clothing, to put on kindness, holiness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and not put on forgiveness is like me wearing camouflage to church. All right? I know I've been real serious, but I thought I'd take a little break here so that your minds can come back to reality here for a second, all right? It'd be like me going over the house. I've got a pair of coveralls, all right? All right you know, does anybody know what coveralls are? It sounds a little word. Coverall covers your whole body, okay? They're not overalls, they're coveralls, okay? All right? And they're camouflage, they're camouflage. I'm a hunter, okay? All right? I enjoy hunting and all those kinds of things. Can you imagine me coming into church tonight with a pair of coveralls on? Camouflage coveralls at that? That would be ridiculous. That would be dumb. It would be stupid for me to do so. Why? Because here's the thing. Is that if I were to walk in with such a thing. Is that, is that it's not that the. It's not that, it's not that camouflage is useless. It's just totally useless where I'm at. It's totally useless where I'm at right now. You ever wore camouflage somewhere else? Some of you are wearing camo tonight and everything. I won't pick on anybody here this evening. But have you ever been wearing camo before out in public and say, somebody says, Tom, I can't see you. You know, where'd you go? Uh, why are you wearing camo? Now, I know it's, a, never mind. We won't get into all that. But the point being is this. Is that if you're going to wear all, if you think you can put on all these other things, but you're not going to put on forgiveness, it's completely useless, my friend. It's not helping you any. It's not doing any good. It's not accomplishing the purpose in to God meant for it to do. The natural thing for all of these things that he's been talking about is leading up to one thing, forgiving one another. So you have a particular conclusion. Secondly, you have a pardonful Christ. That's not one word I found out today in my spell check. That's two words. You have a pardonful Christ. You have a Christ that is full of pardon, full of forgiveness. And before I even deal with our forgiveness, notice what the rest of the verse says. The Bible says, for bearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Also do ye. Before I point out and deal that we need to forgive others, I think it should be very well pointed out that Christ has forgiven you. Or may I put that in question form? Has Christ forgiven you? Has Christ forgiven you? I know of another interpretation that deals with that Matthew 18 passage. And that passage there in Matthew chapter number 6, especially where he says, Neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. And I'm not entirely opposed to it, but let me just share it with you real quickly. Where it says, But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. What he may be saying, some have said this before, is that he may be saying is this, is that since you will not forgive, it may very well prove that you have never been forgiven. That could be very true. I don't doubt that statement whatsoever. If you cannot forgive and you will not forgive and you say, I cannot forgive and I will not forgive, then what does that say about the forgiveness that God has given to you or that you have accepted from God? 
Or does it say to you perhaps that maybe I have never been forgiven by God? I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. I know that even believers at times can harbor unforgiveness in their hearts. That's not my point tonight. My point is this, is that we all need to come to a reality check within our own hearts and life every once in a while and ask ourselves, have we been forgiven by God? Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. The Bible teaches us these things. What he is teaching us here is this, is that Christ has forgiven you. And that forgiveness is one of the key tenets of our faith. I would even say the key tenet. Because that is what all of us need. We need forgiveness. Without forgiveness of sins, my friend, we're all destined for hell. Without forgiveness of sins, we have no hope of glory. None whatsoever. Christ came into this world to forgive us of our sins. And if you would sit here tonight and say, I deliberately will not forgive somebody. Then I would just ask you, what does that say about your knowledge or understanding of your own condition? Right. What does that say about your knowledge and understanding of what you believe about yourself? Have you ever truly seen yourself as a wretch before God? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that what saved a wretch like me. The new modern versions of Amazing Grace like to take that word wretch out. It's too powerful. It's too condemning for people today. They don't like these words. But that's how the Bible describes us. Wretches. Ungodly. Wicked. Worms. Have you truly had an understanding that you are a hellbound, or you were a hellbound, God-hating, Christ-rejecting, liar, that had no forgiveness of Christ and except he had no forgiveness from God except it be through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? If you've never believed that, if you've never believed that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness, then how can you ever truly forgive? You cannot. You can never truly forgive. And our text reminds us of that. It tells us there in verse number 13, he says, he says, he says if any man have a quarrel against you, he says, in it, he says, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, how can you do something if Christ has never done something for you? And I just want to maybe just say this as a word of teaching. Always understand when you read your scriptures and when you listen to people that talk in the world that are not, that are devoid of their understanding of the Bible or they're not Christians and they're unbelievers. When the world talks about peace, it does not talk about biblical peace. Never confuse the two. When the world talks about hope, it does not mean the hope of the scriptures. I hope to deal with that on Sunday. When the world talks about forgiveness in a psychological realm or speaking maybe uh, in, a, in a different realm, the Bible it is totally opposed to what the Bible is talking about. Christ teaches us, the Bible, the apostle teaches us here very plainly. He says, forgiving one another. How? How do you forgive? Even as Christ forgave you. If you know nothing of how Christ forgave you, you can never properly forgive anybody else. Never. Because you do not understand what true forgiveness is. Never stop confusing terms. Stop applying worldly terms with biblical terms. 
The world, when it speaks of hope, is not the same as our hope. When the world speaks of love, it is not our same love. When the world speaks uh, of peace or joy, it is not our peace and joy. They are separated. Separate yourselves, he says. You are separate. You are different. Why? Because you believe the Bible. The scriptures are, should be our authority. Not the world. Now he says here, he says, even as Christ forgave you, or to put it more literally, you might say it like this, just as Christ forgave you in this way. I like that. What does that mean? Just as Christ forgave you in this way. What way did he forgive you? Well, look back to our text. He tells us how he forgave us. He says, if any man have a quarrel against any. What does that mean? That means simply this. Uh, he says, if any man has a quarrel, it means a fault or a blame. Has there ever been a fault between you and Christ? Has there ever been a blame? Have you ever been guilty of anything that is blameworthy in front of God? I think all of us should be able to say yes. We've all sinned against God. I looked up that word fault. I thought that was a very interesting word. I didn't realize it. But fault carries with the idea of it is accountability and responsibility. That's what the word quarrel is, the idea. Fault, blame, accountability, responsibility. You know what is amazing in our world today that we live in is this. Everybody says, it's not my fault. And the moment that you say that, you are, you're, you're beginning to admit, in that moment, you better be, be very careful how you say that word. It's not my fault. Because in saying that, you may be very guilty, may be very guilty of the fact of proving to everybody else around you that it is partly your fault. When we take no responsibility for our sin or for our actions, then we are going against the words of the living God. We must take responsibility for our sins, for our actions. People say, well, it's my parents' fault I act this way. Or it's my spouse's fault. Or it's my church's fault. Or... It's, it's God's fault that I was born this way, or I act this way, or I do these things. Not many are willing to admit to say, it's my fault. It's my fault. I am the one responsible. I am the one accountable for my own sinful actions. It's me. And when God brings somebody to that place, then they can begin to receive forgiveness of sins. Amen? When you can say humbly to God, God, it's my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. I'm not putting blame on anybody else. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. I am the one. Forgive me, oh God, for I have sinned. That's what David said, right? He said, I have sinned. He said, against, what did he say? He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He didn't include Bathsheba, Uriah, and the rest of Israel in that prayer. His concern and his focus, and it should be always ours, first and foremost, is that our sin is always, always, it may hurt other people, it may affect other people, but your sin and my sin is always against God. First and foremost, any sin, any pride, rebellion, anything is against God 
First and foremost. Well, I really hurt them. No, you really hurt God. Well, I shouldn't have said that to them. No, you shouldn't have said that because that's a sin against God. That's a sin against God. Well, you know, I really messed up with that. I really, you know, no, 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 no. No, you didn't mess up. You sinned against God. That's what that's what that's what we're calling ourselves into here. Have you have we ever owned up to the fact that? Now I'm going to put this very bluntly and personally. Have you ever owned up to the fact that you personally are the one to blame for putting Christ on the cross? You are to blame. I am to blame. It is me. It is you. It is all of us. But I don't like to say all of us because then I feel like it puts us into an entirety and we can find a, kind of find a, a, a little bit of hope, a little bit of uh, maybe uh, we can find some camaraderie in this sin. But I'll tell you, there is no camaraderie in sin. Your punishment for sin is always personal. And our sin that we've committed against God is personal. It's your sin that nailed him to the cross. Have you owned up to that? Do you believe that? When I was dealing with some, I dealt with some people before, and I say, I say, I say, who has sin? And they'll say, well, everybody's sin. Well, I say, yes, of course, everybody's sin. But, but who else has sin? What am I trying to do to that person? I'm trying to get them to understand that that sin is not just inclusive of everybody, but sin is individual. All of us have sinned, of course, but I have sinned. That's deeper. Alright? All of us have sinned. That's one thing. But if I say, I have sinned, that's different. And God wants to forgive you. But it goes even deeper than that. The wound gets deeper because in this word plural, what do you have? You have even the idea of fighting. And our Bible perfectly illustrates this of this of this fact that you're you have not only nailed Christ to the cross through your sin, but you're actually before you become saved, you're actually in a quarrel against God. You're fighting against God. Think about that. Much more now, being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And then listen also to Colossians 1.21. The Bible tells us this. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have you reconciled. Thank God for reconciliation. But understand, before reconciliation ever took place, you are quarreling. You are fighting. You are enemies of God. And God is for... And what, why am I drawing all this out? What's the point? Am I, here, am I here to make you feel that? No, I'm here to let you know that if you're a saved, born-again believer in Jesus Christ... That was your past condition. You are an enemy of God. You are a personal, individual, God-hating, lying, thief, sinner that put Jesus Christ on the cross. And God, when you asked Him to forgive you, He forgave you of all of that. He forgave you of the worst atrocity and crime the world has ever, ever seen. And I've listened today, and I've seen some of the things on TV, and I've seen them talk about, well, this is an atrocity. This is I'll tell you what an atrocity is. An atrocity is a righteous, 
godly man Jesus Christ being hung on a cross and spit upon and his beard plucked out and then an atrocity is for us as believers to stand here and to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts. And when God has forgiven us so much, my friend, God forbid we ever do such a wicked and ungodly thing. No wonder he said, toss him out to the tormentors until he has paid the other most farthing. No wonder he said such a thing. For God has forgiven us so much. And for us to not forgive somebody over just a little $20 bill. And that's what it is. Any of the worst thing that somebody could do to us is just a $20 bill, my friend. You say, you don't know what people have done to you. No, I don't, but I know what we've done to Christ. And we hung an innocent man on a cross and we killed him. We murdered him. And yet God in his great grace, amen, with great grace, he forgave us. He forgave us. We ought to have a peaceful care as he cares for us. We ought to have a peaceful care for others. For he tells us in this passage, he says that we ought to be forgiving one another. What is one another? I'll tell you who that is. That's for us. That's believers. That's your spouse. That, that's your children. That's each other. You know, the Bible is very plain and lets us know. Jesus even pronounces a woe. A woe is a shout of grief. He says, woe unto the world because of offense of this, that there is so much wicked and ungodliness and evil in this world that is quite obvious and it is very, and it is undoubtful and it is, and it is very sure that all of us will be sinned against while we live here in this world. All of us will be sinned against. All of us will be offended. All of us will be hurt. All of us will be. That is part of the curse. That is what will happen. For if they sinned against Jesus Christ, then how much better are you and me? Amen? Nothing. So Paul reminds us what to do in these times when somebody hurts you, when somebody spoils you, when somebody has done some fault against you, something blameworthy. Whenever somebody has a quarrel against you, the word quarrel in other, in, in, in other, in other books, uh, other Greek books, oftentimes meant just a complaint. A complaint. If somebody just has a complaint about you, what is your automatic reaction when somebody complains about you? What is your automatic reaction when somebody has a quarrel against you, has a fight against you, has, has uh, something to say about you? Something you disagree with. What is your immediate and natural tendency when somebody says something that's very brainworthy? And understand what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that when people hurt us that that's right and that's okay. Do you understand that? That's not what Jesus said. He said, whoa. He said, be careful. He said, watch out. He said, you will be hurt in this life. He didn't say that it's okay to be hurt. In fact, he says a little bit later on in that same exact verse, he says, woe unto them by whom offenses come. But you will be hurt. What will your reaction be? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Why do we war and why do we fight? Why do we carry on 
I'll tell you why. Well, I won't tell you. The Bible will tell you. Your lust. It's your lust that war in your members. You know it's a lust to always want to be right? That's a lust that people have. I have to be right. And nobody else is going to tell me that I'm wrong. I am going to be right. That's a lust. And something that some of us have to fight with. And I don't mean in the sense that you want to be right on a test or right in life or right with God. That's not what I mean. You know what I mean by that. I'm going to be right and everybody else is going to be wrong. Let me clue you in on something. The only perfect person, the person that's always, always ever right is God. Amen? All right. Where does this fighting, where does this lust, where, where, do this, where does this come? It comes from yourself. You lust, though. He says you lust and you have not, though. You fight and you war and you cannot obtain because you fight and war and you have not because you ask not. You're, you, when you do ask, he says you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. The, the whole thing is based upon me, 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 me. What can I get out of life? And when we don't forgive because, well, they did this and they said that. And, and you just don't understand how bad it is and, 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 and things like that. The thing is this, is that what we're saying is this really is that, is that my, my lust, my, my pride, my, my uh, what me, I'm more important. I'm more important than all of this. And I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep doing this. He's telling his audience, James is saying that if you're fighting and warning and hurting each other, why? Because you're sinful lust that you're obeying. You're not obeying God. Whenever we give into the temptation to fight back and to give into bitterness and to say uh, comments that are not right and say things like, well, uh, I, I just, I'm just never going to forgive them. Or I, I, I've heard people say this before. Well, I, I'll forgive them, but I, I'm just not going to like them. I, I'll forgive them, but I don't have to look at them. I, I'll forgive them, but, but I'm not going to let them treat me. I'm going to forgive them, but, and there's always a but. But what if God had a but on his forgiveness? What if God had a but on his forgiveness? If he said, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to listen to you tomorrow. I, I'll forgive you, but... Uh, and you fill in the blank. I'll forgive you, but you know if you mess up again, buddy, then it's the last time. What if, what if God treated us like we treated other people? I'll tell you what it, what it would be like. None of us would be around. That's exactly what would happen. We'd be dead. But we don't kill people oftentimes. Some people do. But we don't kill people because we'll go to jail over it sometimes. We don't want to mess up our life. I'm glad that God doesn't put a butt in forgiveness. May we not forget the words of Christ. Whenever he said in Luke 17, 4, he said, And if he trespassed against thee seven times in a day, seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent. The words of Jesus say, Thou shalt forgive him. And if you're into grammar, that's an imperative. 
That's a command. Thou shalt forgive them. So what do you do when somebody offends you as a believer? Do you forgive them? Do you forgive them? Well, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. You ever heard somebody say that? God told me to forgive, but he didn't tell me I had to forget. The Bible never says forgive and forget, okay? I know that. It says to forgive. But you know what forgiveness is? And I've already told you what it is. But forgiveness is two things. It's simply illustrated in Luke 17, 4, as I've already read to you, that you ought to forgive somebody. He says there, the word forgiveness there means to let go, to let go. The problem with most people when they don't want to forgive is this. They say, I forgive you. You see what I'm saying? And this is the person they're forgiving. And they're saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. And they even say it like that. I forgive you. You know, ever heard, heard somebody say it like that? And I'm, yeah, sure, whatever, I forgive you. And they, they, and this, but this is what they're doing the whole time. They're holding on to that person, or they're holding on to that grudge, or they're holding on to that bitterness, or they're holding on to that offense. I forgive them. But, you know, and so, and man, I don't know, how in the world can some of you women remember something that happens like 10 years ago? You can remember exactly what somebody says. I mean, that's like an amazing mind to be able to do that. Uh, and there's some guys that can do it too. But some of y'all, I mean, you can remember exact lines that happened like 10 or 15 years ago. And, and your mind is just perfect with those kinds of things. It's amazing. It really is an amazing thing. Um, I'm not putting you down for that or anything. It's just amazing. It really is. Um, but if you use that in unforgiveness, it's wrong. Okay? Uh, I forgive you, but, but, but. And you know what you're doing? You're holding on. Exactly. I forgive you. You let it go. You say, where does it fall to? I don't know. Give it to God. You say, what if God doesn't do anything? I don't know. It's not in my hands anymore. It's not in my hands anymore. And go, don't, don't go along dropping a bunch of stuff, then two days later start picking it all back up again either, okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> let it go. It's, I, I'm done. I forgive. I forgive you. I forgive you. It also means in our passage that we hear here tonight, it means to give favor and to show kindness and to be gracious. So if I forgive somebody, it means I let go, but it also means that I'm kind and gracious to them too. It doesn't mean that I forgive them, but I'm never going to talk to them ever again. That, you know, that doesn't what it means. It means that you're kind, you're gracious, you're, 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 you're loving to them. Those two words sum up for what God expects from us. We should forgive, we should let go, release somebody from the hurt that they've called us. Let them go. Whenever the man, whenever the, going back to our man in the parable, whenever that man in the parable 
heard the words from the man that owed him little say these words to him, have patience with me, I will pay thee all. When he heard those words, I mean, there should have been a there should have been a, a, a something in his mind that triggered in his heart and his mind when he heard those words because those were the exact same words that came out of his mouth five minutes ago. And whenever he heard those words, it should have come into his heart and to his mind and should have struck his heart like a chord. Whenever he heard those words, have patience with me. I will repay. Forgive me. And immediately when somebody says those words, there should be uh, uh, thoughts in our hearts and in our minds of when we ask God to forgive us. Say, yes, I will forgive. We should have grace with people. People are going to sin against us. They're going to hurt us. But what does it say about our hearts if we're not willing to be gracious and kind and loving and forgiving to those that hurt us? What does that say about our hearts? You know what it says. When we will not be gracious, kind, loving, and forgiving towards those that have hurt us, it shows that our hearts are not right with God. Because we know how God treats us. The same way that God treats us is the way that he expects us to treat others. Joseph, when he was hurt by his brothers, he forgave them. But he didn't just forgive them. It says in verse 21 of chapter 50, Now therefore fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly to them. He didn't just forgive them, he comforted them. He spake kindly to them. He nourished them and helped them. Stephen, in the act of being stoned by his oppressors, kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And what did Jesus say on the cross? You know it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You ever considered that some people that are hurting you and offending you, that really they're just ignorant sinners? They're just backslidden. Their hearts aren't right with God. Forgiveness is no laughing matter. It's no light matter to be taken with God. It's a very serious one. Forgiveness is not a surface suggestion. It's not just an I forgive you. But rather it runs deep into the heart. It touches on all of the aspects we've talked about. Love and humility and kindness and forbearance and mercy and long-suffering. Out of all of these things should flow forgiveness from us. Whenever God tells us to put these pieces of clothing on, it is not a suggestion. It's a command of God. A command of God. And if we do not listen to God, then we risk living in a continuing state of immaturity, uselessness, failure, grief, and chastisement. 
May I just plead with you, forgive others, even as Christ forgave you. Father, we're thankful.